Hello, it's Tax Credit Tuesday, and I'm Michael Novogratik. Today is Tuesday, April 27, 2010. This week, I will review details of two renewable energy tax credit bills. One measure would extend and amend the Section 48 Cap C tax credit. The other would provide a 30% tax credit for the construction of buildings that are energy efficient and are location efficient. Then, I have news about a bill that would provide incentives to lenders and financial institutions to make the nation's housing stock more energy efficient. This bipartisan measure was approved last week by the House Financial Services Committee. And finally, I'll share updates from state tax credit housing agencies in Louisiana and Tennessee. But first, I have a follow-up announcement about a topic from a recent podcast. As most listeners will recall, in the April 13th podcast, I mentioned California Senate Bill 401. This Senate bill was approved by the California State Legislature on April 8th and was signed into law on the 12th. The bill conforms California state law with numerous federal tax law changes that have been made since 2005. The particularly good news was that the bill specifically excludes Section 1603 Renewable Energy Tax Cash Grants from taxable income in California. The Franchise Tax Board also confirmed that the new law will be retroactive to grants paid on or after February 17, 2009, and that any renewable energy grant received by a California income taxpayer in 2009 may be excluded on a grant recipient's 2009 state income tax return. Today, however, I want to mention an unintended consequence of the legislation that California recipients of Section 1603 cash grants should be aware of. As is the case in federal law, California's Section 1603 cash grant recipients must reduce their depreciable tax basis for state income tax purposes by 50% of the Section 1603 grant. If you have any questions about how this new law will affect your Section 1603 project or future tax returns, please call my partner, Stephen Tracy, at 415-356-8010. In addition to providing traditional tax and audit services for renewable energy clients, Novogratz and Company also provides valuation advisory services to the renewable energy community. For example, Novogratz is available to prepare fair market valuations for solar and wind projects in connection with clients' financing and structuring needs. Clients and their advisors often use these reports to evaluate certain tax consequences that apply to the owners of the property. These valuations rely on the cost and income approaches to value. Our valuation professionals, known as our GoVal team, have completed many assignments in which valuation was assessed both at the present date and at a future date. Our GoVal valuation professionals come from a variety of backgrounds, including development, asset management, consulting, planning, valuation, and banking. This diversity of experience creates a broad base of knowledge of capital markets and helps them understand the influences that affect the value of energy property. To learn more about the valuation services that we can provide, please call my partners, Blair Kenser or Brad Weinberg, in our Washington, D.C. office. They can be reached at 240-235-1701. Now, let's get started with news about two significant renewable energy bills that were introduced in Congress this month. On April 16th, Congressman Phil Hare of Illinois introduced the Security and Energy and Manufacturing Act, or the SEAM Act, S-E-A-M. The bill would extend and improve the Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit Program, which has already been depleted of funding. The Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit was enacted last year. It's Section 48 Cap C of the Internal Revenue Code. 
The program provides a 30% tax credit for the creation of new manufacturing facilities that produce alternative energy components. The SEAM Act would provide an additional $5 billion in tax credits and allow the Departments of Treasury and Energy to issue cash grants in lieu of tax credits. The bill would also amend the original program to prioritize manufacturing facilities that manufacture, rather than just assemble, clean energy components. Congressman Harris says this change is meant to ensure that more manufacturing jobs and technology will be created domestically. The first round of funding for the 48 CAPC program has already proved successful in leveraging private capital and giving companies an incentive to open manufacturing facilities in the U.S. The original funding amount for this tax credit was quickly used to support 183 new or expanded manufacturing facilities. Congressman Harris' bill had 52 original co-sponsors when it was introduced, and at the time of this recording, two representatives had signed on, bringing the total number of co-sponsors to 54, more than 10% of Congress. The bill has been referred to the House Ways and Means Committee for consideration. A second bill of interest to the renewable energy community was introduced on April 15th by Senator Robert Menendez of New Jersey. Senator Menendez is a member of the Senate Finance Committee. The bill, S-3212, would make qualified energy efficiency property eligible for energy investment tax credits and grants in lieu of credits. In a press release about the proposed bill, Senator Menendez's office says the proposed legislation would create a green building tax credit program that would offer a refundable 30% tax credit for the construction of buildings that are energy efficient as well as location efficient. The tax credit would be earned the year a project is completed and is placed in service. Senator Menendez's office says that the tax credit would be structured similar to the Federal Historic Tax Credit Program and the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Program. Under Senator Menendez's bill, projects would be required to meet a number of criteria to qualify for the tax credit. First, projects would have to be green. Projects that are majority residential would need to be 25% more energy efficient than ASHRAE Energy Code from 2001. Projects that are majority commercial would need to be more than 50% more energy efficient than the 2001 standard. Second, projects would also have to be transit-oriented, which is defined in the bill as being located within half a mile of public transportation, such as a train station, ferry terminal, or bus rapid transit stop. Third, in rural states, projects would need to be near town centers on previously developed land. Fourth, residential projects would also be required to be mixed income, The bill mandates that at least 5% of any apartments must be affordable to households at or below 60% of the area median income. Fifth, the bill also requires projects to be high density, which is defined as having a floor area ratio of at least 3.0 net, at least 3.0 net of streets and public spaces. Sixth, the tax credit would only be available to large projects meaning projects that are larger than 150,000 square feet, except in rural states where projects larger than 50,000 square feet would qualify. And finally, projects would be required to begin construction within 36 months. But to secure a tax credit reservation, projects must be ready to proceed. Supporters of the new green building tax credit say it will create jobs now and foster the green construction industry. They estimate that projects developed under the new tax credit program could create approximately 255,000 jobs. 
This figure includes 120,000 construction jobs that would pay construction workers more than $7 billion. And because the tax credit couldn't be claimed until the projects are completed, there would be no cost to the Treasury this year. Speaking of green building, let's turn to an update on green housing legislation. On April 22nd, to mark Earth Day, the House Financial Services Committee approved H.R. 2336, the Green Resources for Energy Efficient Neighborhoods, or GREEN Act, by a voice vote. The bipartisan legislation was authored by Congressman Ed Perlmutter of Colorado and Congresswoman Judy Bigger of Illinois. The GREEN Act would provide incentives to lenders and financial institutions to move the nation's housing stock towards greater energy efficiency. The American Institute of Architects published a report on the potential job creation from this bill and found that the GREEN Act could create or save as many as 140,000 jobs in the building design and construction industry every year. Four key provisions of the bill are, first, incentives for new and existing structures financed by HUD to meet or exceed minimum energy efficiency standards. Second, the creation of a four-year, 50,000-unit demonstration program that highlights the cost-effectiveness of funding a portion of the costs of meeting the enhanced HUD energy efficiency standards. Third, the provision of resources for not-for-profit and for-profit community organizations to extend the availability of energy-efficient products for existing homes. And fourth, the establishment of a residential energy efficiency block grant program. In 2008, the Bipartisan Green Act passed the full House of Representatives as part of the Comprehensive Energy Security and Consumer Protection Act. In 2009, the bill passed the full House of Representatives as part of H.R. 2454, the American Clean Energy and Security Act, also called the ACES Act. Last week, Representatives Promoter and Bigger made some consensus changes to the bipartisan bill, and it now will go to the full House of Representatives for a vote. In other housing news, I have a couple of quick state updates. In Louisiana last week, House Speaker Jim Tucker introduced a bill that would make changes to the State Housing Finance Agency. First, the bill would add members to the State Housing Finance Agency's Board of Commissioners. Current law provides for 15 board members, including the Secretary of the Department of Social Services, the State Treasurer, one member appointed by the Senate President, one member appointed by the Speaker of the House, and 11 members appointed by the Governor. House Bill 1414 would add two more board members by doubling the number of appointments made by the Speaker of the House and the Senate President. The proposed legislation also calls for greater legislative oversight of the agency's budget and procedures. At present, the agency establishes its own budget, which must be approved by two-thirds of the board. Tucker's bill proposes to retain the agency's current budget procedure, but adds a step by subjecting the budget to review by the Joint Legislative Committee on the budget. Furthermore, any changes or additions to the agency rules and regulations would also be subject to that committee's review. Additionally, each year the agency would be required to submit a report to the legislature regarding issues related to Louisiana's housing needs. HB 1414 was referred to the House Appropriations Committee on April 21st. A copy of the bill can be found online at www.taskcredithousing.com. Simply go to the Legislation tab and select State Legislation from the drop-down menu. In other state housing agency news, the Tennessee Housing Development Agency announced last week that a special tax credit committee has been established to examine the low-income housing tax credit program. The special committee will make recommendations to the Policy and Programs Committee of the agency's board regarding the low-income housing tax credit program 
and subsequent year's qualified allocation plans. Two meetings of the Special Task Force Committee will be held at the agency's offices next month. First on Wednesday, May 12th, the committee will meet for a discussion between committee members and THDA staff. This meeting is open to the public. However, there will not be an opportunity for public comment or input during this session. Then, on Thursday, May 13th, a second meeting will be held for the purpose of public comment and input. All guests are invited and encouraged to come prepared with comments that will address issues surrounding the Loan Composing Task Credit Program. Speakers may comment on particular issues or concerns with respect to the current qualified allocation plan or may offer comments with respect to broader policy implications or concerns regarding the Loan Composing Task Credit Program. This meeting is not intended to focus specifically on the successor to the 2010 Qualified Allocation Plan. Details on attending the meeting and providing comments are available online at www.thda.org. Before I wrap up today's podcast, it's time for the Tax Credit Calendar. Today, the National Commission on Fiscal Responsibility and Reform will meet. The meeting is open to the public. President Obama and Federal Reserve Chairman Bernanke are expected to address the commission. This is the first meeting of the panel, which has been tasked with seeking ways to improve the federal government's budget outlook. Also this week, I'll be attending a Renewable Energy Task Force Conference in San Francisco. We're expecting nearly 200 professionals to attend the conference, and I'll be tweeting from the event. So in case you can't join us, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter for updates. And if you are joining us at the conference, please share your Twitter updates. Simply use hashtag pound SF Energy 10. That's pound SF Energy 10. Looking ahead, the Affordable Housing Tax Credit Coalition announced that it will hold its 2010 spring meeting on June 2nd. That's a week before our New Market Tax Credit Conference in D.C. as well. As part of the AHTCC meeting, the coalition will hold its annual Chuck Edson Tax Credit Excellence Awards luncheon. There, it will present its 16th annual Tax Credit Excellence Awards to the most outstanding low-income tax credit developments in six categories. Those categories are metropolitan housing, rural housing, senior housing, special needs housing, green housing, and public housing revitalization. Don't miss this opportunity to join your fellow low-income tax credit industry participants to celebrate the award applicants as well as the award-winning properties. Members of Congress will be on hand to present the awards and provide much-deserved recognition for those working in the low-income housing tax credit industry. And our New Market Tax Credit listeners will recognize that the June 2nd date is also the due date for applications for allocation authority under the eighth round of New Market Tax Credit applications. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next Tuesday for another round of Tax Credit Tuesday. Then I'll discuss a case study published recently by Self-Help a community development financial institution, and a new market tax credit allocatee. In its report, Self-Help describes the impacts of the new market tax credit on downtown Durham, North Carolina. I'll also share the results of a poll released by the American Wind Energy Association that show that voters overwhelmingly support increasing the use of wind power in the United States and adopting a strong renewable electricity standard. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.